Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to, to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called all together, the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I know I'm supposed to like great Christmas carols, theological carols like Hark the Herald or O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. But actually, I have to admit, the one that is on my repeat list every Christmas is a Mariah Carey song. You might guess what it is. It's called, All I Want for Christmas is You. Make my wish come true. All I want for Christmas is you. And I know it's a bit of a stretch. But if these magi that we just read about were our contemporaries, if they came 2,000 years later now, maybe this is the song that they would have in their playlist, <laughs> that they are humming in their minds. All I want for Christmas is you, Jesus. <laughs> After all, they really, really, really seem to want to meet Jesus. I mean, think about it. These magi, Matthew 1 in verse 1, uh, tells us that these magi came from the east uh, following the stars, most likely they were from Babylon, very, very far away. They're probably priests of a religion called Zoroastrianism, uh, people who studied the stars. We might call it astrology. Uh, and they came and they saw the movements of the star and they came to Jerusalem wanting to meet Jesus. If that's right, they would have traveled at least 800 kilometers away, away from their homes in all sorts of dangers, danger of being in the desert or storm or theft, wild animals, hunger, dangers of being a foreigner uh, in that country, all sorts of danger, dangers. But they saw something and they wanted to find out. So they came all the way. We're going through a short Advent series called Christ in carols, and we're going to look at this song, We Three Kings. We Three Kings of Orient are bearing gifts we traverse afar, fields and fountains, moors and mountains, following yonder star. I don't know how exactly this star led them to Jerusalem and to Bethlehem. I heard uh, uh, historians speculate about how 
uh, the ancient Near Eastern people associated some of these constellations with uh, different countries like Orion and Pisces to different countries and they might have seen some strange movements in the constellation associated with Israel. I don't know how then this star led them to this specific house in Bethlehem. I, I, I don't know. Only God knows. But God does miracles. And that's not the point in Matthew's story. The point is this. When they came, when these magi came to Bethlehem, and when they saw Jesus, they worshipped. They bowed and worshipped Jesus. Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And these were important people. Remember, they were just at Herod's place. They had no problem getting an audience with Herod. They were treated like dignitaries. And yet, when they saw this boy, no bigger than Barney for sure, they bow down and they give their gifts and they worship this boy. And their gifts tell us what's, what was on their minds. For Barney, this is sort of the ideal gift. I mean, look at this magnificent gift, right? It's a train, it's a toy train, every boy's dream. Trains, cars, candies, these would have made, would have made great gifts for a boy. But look what these magi brought to boy Jesus. They are odd gifts for a boy to say the least. Uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The song, We Three Kings, are about these gifts. Reverend John Henry Hopkins, an Anglican minister in the U.S. in 1857, composed this song as part of a Christmas pageant. It imagines these wise men, the magi, singing in unison verses 1 and 5 as it tells the story of the magi. But verses 2 to 4 supposedly are, are sung uh, by uh, the, the, the uh, supposed names of these magi, uh, Melchior, Balthazar, and Caspar, as they lay their gifts. Uh, each to, uh, uh, to baby Jesus, they sing um, their part. And Reverend Hopkins saw in these gifts, as many commentators do, not eccentricity, not weirdness, but something that foreshadows Jesus' identity and his mission. So let's take a look in verse 2. Born a king on Bethlehem's plain, gold I bring to crown him again. Gold. The tradition associates uh, gold with Jesus' kingship. Now that's easy to see why. Uh, the crowns are made out of gold. Uh, th that sort of wealth is often associated with royalty. We know for sure that the Magi were looking for a king. When they arrive in Jerusalem and see Herod, this is what they ask in verse 2. Where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? Indeed, Jesus was the king of the Jews. The opening verses of Matthew's gospel are, are, are these words. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. Messiah means the anointed king, anointed king in the line of David. And that's what Jesus was. As Jesus dies on the cross, Pilate puts, ironically, uh, this plaque that says, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Uh, they didn't recognize him as that, but he was at the very least the king of the Jews. 
the promised king, king of Israel, who would restore Israel. But he was more. He was much more than that. And as the disciples look back, look back in Jesus' days, what he did, his death and his resurrection, they see him as much more than just king of the Jews. As the carol declares, king forever, seizing never, over us all to reign. They recognize him finally as the king of the universe, the one who made us all, king whom all the world should bow down to worship. What do you do when a king comes to reign over his world, over the world? We see three choices here, three responses in this story that we just read. We see the scholars. As the Magi come and ask, where is this king supposed to be born? Herod brings in all the biblical scholars. And they come and they tell them, they point uh, Magi to the right passage in the Bible, uh, Micah chapter 5, Bethlehem. They knew where the king was supposed to be born. They knew that because they knew the Bible. (laughs) They had God's word with them. They studied it. They memorized it. They know exactly which passage to go to when when they're asked this question about where is the king supposed to be born. But what do they do? With all their biblical knowledge in their minds, do they go with the Magi? When they have seen this, uh, who have seen this strange star uh, who seem to uh, point uh, to the king finally being born, do they go? No, they don't. They know all what they know, but they ignore. They ignore the signs. They ignore the actual things that are happening. Is that you? In this Christmas season, all the busyness, with all the stuff that you know, how much attention are you paying to Jesus? Are you just distracted by life? We also see King Herod's reaction here too. He asked Magi to tell him the location of, the, of this king if the Magi found, uh, finds him, verse 8, so that he may go and worship him, so he says. But we know the real intention of King Herod. He doesn't want to go worship Jesus. He wants to kill Jesus. And later on, when he finds out that the Magi came and went without telling him who Jesus was, well, he orders the killing of all the little toddlers in Bethlehem. Because he wants to kill this king. Why? Well, because he's king. He's the king of, of, of Israelites. He wants to live his life his own way. He doesn't want to submit to another authority. Is that you? We too often do this, don't we? We know Jesus as the king. We have the evidence. We, we're convinced by it. But actually, we don't want to give up our independence. We want to live our life our own way. We want to live as the the king of my own life, the king and queen of my own life. And so we not only ignore Jesus, we actively reject him. Is that you? Of course, there's the Magi. When they saw the sign, they investigated what the sign was all about. They went far, <laughs> uh, uh, mountains and moors, uh, fields and plains. They went through it all to find out who Jesus was. And that led them to Jerusalem. That led them to the Bible. And that led them to Jesus. And when they found Jesus, they bowed down and worshipped him. Is that you? 
this Christmas. King forever, seizing never, over us all to reign. The second gift is a bit odd. It's frankincense. Most of you don't know what a frankincense is. It might as well be Frankenstein, as we saw in the last play last week. Uh, Frankincense, according to Exodus chapter 30, is a key ingredient in the incense that the priests burn in the temple. It was this aromatic gum produced by this tree, specific tree uh, grown in Arabia. Reverend Hopkins sees another divinely appointed message in this gift. He sees this gift foreshadowing Jesus' identity as the priest, as the high priest for us. So he writes, Frankincense to offer have I, incense owns a deity nigh, prayers and praising, voices raising, worshiping God on high. In the Old Testament, this incense was burned, only, was only offered by Aaronic priests. Only the high priest could actually go into the holy, uh, the holy place where the golden uh, altar was to offer incense to God, according to Exodus chapter 30. You see, according to the Old Testament, prayers of the people, even the prayers, could not be offered directly to God. It had to be offered through a mediator, a priest, somebody who stands between God and us. Why? That's because... We're mortal beings, not only mortal, uh, separated by this big gap of just who we are, but also our sins. Because this gap of holiness is there, and God's holiness would consume sinners like us. And so God provided generously these priests, priesthood to offer sacrifice and prayers so that, that these priests could represent God to the people and people to God. Incense owns uh, deity nigh. I had to look up what nigh, the word nigh means. It means near. It means, well, what he's saying is, God, the deity, came near. He became one of us. He became our high priest. He, became, he came near us, uh, not, not only so that, uh, so that he could have a relationship with us. God, as God himself, could not just reveal himself to us because he's God. He would just consume us but he was veiled in flesh. He came to be near us so that we could have a relationship with us, so that we could hear and we could see him. We could see what his love is like, what his grace is like, what his righteousness and holiness is like through his life. We see him. We could have a relationship with him so he could represent God to us. But he became a man so that he could represent humanity to God. So he could uh, pray on our behalf. He could sacrifice on our behalf. The writer of Hebrews writes in chapter 7, verse 25, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He pictures Jesus now sitting high up in heaven as our representative interceding for our behalf. You see, God came so that he could be our high priest, so we could have a relationship with him, so that our prayers could be offered to him, that we could uh, have, uh, we can know who God is in Jesus. 
is our relationship between God and humanity forged and healed. Jesus is the meeting place between God and us. Christmas can be a tough time for some people, not only because they're far away from their family, but sometimes because they are near their family. If you're like me, we take those who are closest to us for granted and we say things and we have done things that have hurt them. And whenever we then come together in holidays like Christmas, we sort of sense this awkwardness, the brokenness in our relationship, don't we? And we dread it. But in this Advent season, think about what we have done to God. The gap that stands between us and God all the, every thought that's entered in our mind, God knows all the things that we've done, all the things that we've ignored to do when we know that that's the right thing to do. God knows every single one of them. Our conscious rebellion against God, He knows all of them. And there is that gap of brokenness. So some go on to try to be good. You know, Christmas, the secular message of Christmas is try to be good so that you can get gifts. But actually, Christmas says what we cannot do, what we could not do, the the mending of our relationship with God, God came to do for us. God came down to be one of us, to meet us, to reconcile us so that he could also, he took up our humanity so that he could represent us to God. That's the good news of Christmas. Friends, God came to be with us as our high priest. Will you go to him this season uh, to have that relationship with him? Gold, frankincense. But the most bizarre out of the three is myrrh. Myrrh. In the New Testament, this myrrh, the word occurs only four times, three times outside of this text, and twice associated with Jesus' death. In Mark chapter 15, verse 22, Jesus on the cross is offered a drink, a mix of myrrh and vinegar. Another time in John chapter 19, verse 39, Nicodemus, Rabbi Nicodemus comes to anoint Jesus' body with myrrh and spices. You see, this expensive spice is associated with Jesus' death. Isn't that odd gift? Isn't that an odd gift to bring to a child, to a boy who was just born? Well, some say it was because they were men. You know, men don't know really how to go- choose good gifts. <laughs> um, I promise this will be the last time um, that I, I, t- I tell this joke. Um, some say if the three wise men were three wise women, they would have asked for directions, arrived on time, helped to deliver the baby, cleaned the stable, made a casserole, brought practical gifts. Instead, they brought myrrh. <laughs> um, Reverend Hopkins, though, sees in myrrh another foreshadowing of Jesus' identity and mission, what he would do for us. Myrrh is mine, he says. Myrrh is mine, its bitter perfume, breeds a life of gathering gloom, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone-cold tomb. He came to die for us. 
course, that is why Jesus came. We've been talking about Magi's gift to Jesus, but Jesus is God's gift to us. He didn't bring gifts to us. He brought himself so that he could take on the flesh. He could live a sinless life so he could die as our sacrifice for us. He came to be the gift for us. Friends, Christmas is a happy time when we celebrate God becoming a human being, but this manger that we see over it The shadow of the cross looms large. We can't avoid it because that is the reason why Jesus came. Which begs the question, do you think you're a sinner who needs this saving? Do you believe that you're a person who is bad enough, uh, bad enough that you deserve God's righteous judgment and punishment? If you don't see yourself as a sinner who needs saving, this Christmas will just be another holiday. You might not actually be, uh, understand why everybody's so happy, why Christians are so happy, why the world celebrates. It's just another holiday. But if you have examined the sinfulness of your heart, and if you feel the weight of your guilt that cannot be scrubbed away by good deeds, if you know that you need a Savior, Christmas will be the greatest time for you because it's the time that says you have a savior. You have a God who loves you. You have a God who's come from the heavens to reconcile us back to him by giving himself as a sacrifice for us. You know, this word magi, we call magi kings. Well, this song says we three kings. Magi weren't kings. We call them wise men. That's not true either. Uh, Magi, uh, in Acts uh, chapter 13, verse 6, is translated as sorcerer. It's magician. The Old Testament forbids uh, sorcery. It forbids practice of magic and divination. If they were Jews, they could have been killed. They could have been killed for practicing these things. And that, they're Gentile, is also extraordinary. You see, these Magi from the East... They were some of the most unlikely people who could come and be saved. But they were saved because they recognized Jesus for who he was. And that's at the beginning of Gospel of Matthew. At the end, of course, you hear Jesus telling the disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. Friends, Wherever you're watching this from, whether you're men or women or Chinese or Korean or Filipino or whatever, however good you have been this past year and however terrible you have been this year, no matter who you are, if you come to Jesus, if you recognize him as your king, as God, as sacrifice for you, you will be saved. That's the good news of Christmas, that Jesus came for us all. So no matter who you are, I pray this Christmas, you will come and sing this song. Glorious now behold him arise, King and God and sacrifice, hallelujah, hallelujah, sounds through the earth and skies. I hope you'll be able to join me and join millions of others this Christmas in singing this song. 
Amen.